So I tried to do something really kind and nice for my wife recently. This spring, uh, we were having our second. She was actually pregnant with our second child, uh, Elias, and she was about eight months pregnant at the time. So I'm like, you know, uh, let me try and do something really sweet and thoughtful for her. She's um, been, you know, it's hard growing these humans, you know, inside of people's bodies. (laughs) And I'd like, I'm going to do a girl's night out. So I called one of her good friends, a girlfriends of hers. I said, listen, uh, I'm going to plan this night, Friday night this week. Let's do it. This is a week earlier, you know, and if you could do that. I even arranged for her husband to get some childcare. Actually, he, he ended up canceling some stuff so he could provide kind of that uh, time for his wife to go out and hang out with Hannah. So I got it all arranged. I wanted it to be a surprise, so I just made sure throughout the week that her calendar was clear. Uh, on that day, and it was, so I kind of that day would surprise her and say, hey, you know, you go out, I'll watch uh, Adeline, our oldest, and enjoy, I got all this set up for you. Restaurant picked out everything. That is the end of the part of the story where I am a good husband, right there. That's it. It stops right there. I completely forgot about the whole thing. I didn't even tell her about it. It It's, you know, a surprise, but I never told her. That day came and went, And, and so I come in, at 10 o'clock at night, I'm covered in dirt because I was outside doing yard work. And I come in, and she's there on the couch eating cereal, watching Netflix. And I'm like, well, how was dinner? How was your night? And she's like, it was really boring, but you know, I know you had to go out and do the yard work or whatever, but it was just kind of lame and boring. And I was like, oh, man, that's too bad. And then I looked at my phone, and there's a flurry of text messages on there from this girl. She's like, where is, where is Hannah? Am I at the right place? Are we still friends? I hate you. <laughs> so it's amazing what I'm capable of, okay? Listen to this, right? Isn't this amazing? Uh, you give me anything that involves just genuine human responsibility and adulthood and, I, and planning, simple things, and I will, I will completely make an amazing mess out of it. I not only gave him the most ordinary night in out of my girls' night out that I had planned, but I ruined all of her friendships, too. I just gave her new drama in her life that she didn't need. And so, you're welcome, Hannah. Here you go. Oh, man, it's hilarious thinking about it. So, um, we're still married, uh, and, um, and it's been great. Uh, this is what happens. I didn't go to a men's retreat last year, so that's obviously why that happened to me. Um, so, for all the men that are at men's retreat, they will not have these problems. Um, so, but, but I tell you that because uh, I wonder if sometimes spiritually uh, with God, we feel that way. He plans these great spiritual nights out for people, but we didn't get the invite. Or he invited us and we think we're missing it. Like we, we came to church because someone told us God is going to do amazing things in your life. You're going to have these uh, experiences that he's at work in your life, that he's at work around you and using you. He's going to change you from the inside out. It's this intimate personal relationship. Maybe that's why you even showed up here in the first place. And to be honest with you, you've given it some time and it's just kind of vanilla. You know, it's like, not, it's, maybe it started out that way, but then it kind of faded off and you're wondering if you kind of missed it. Did I miss the invite? It, did something happen? Did God stop working? What's going on? And, and what most Christians probably won't admit, but I think we should admit, is that you don't need God to have some great transformative emotional experience. I mean, you know this, the whole courses of history have been changed. Nations have been overturned. People have done things, profound things, because they were inspired or had some great experience and they went off passionately to do it based on some emotional, inspiring experience they had. And we know that you don't, none of those things, some of them didn't have anything to do with God. I mean, they didn't have anything, the leadership didn't have anything to do with Jesus or the gospel. It was just this amazing, inspiring story that 
people were moved by and it changed courses of history. We know there's stories like that. So you don't need God for that. And also it, it, it's possible that's obviously then not an indicator that God's at work. But here's the other crazy thing is it's possible and this is maybe what's more nefarious or, or diabolical to think about, is that it's possible to have an in, amazing, emotional, joy-filled experience of God's activity around you, even. Legitimately, God's activity around you, and, and God is not actually present and active inside of you, in, in your heart, in your relationship with Him, that He's doing lots of things around you but God in his presence is not in you, that that's actually possible. This is the passage we're going to live in to kind of unpack the, the, the diabolical nature of this and how intimidating this can sound because now you're like, well, what's evidence? What, what are some of the evidences that God is at work? And Luke is the author of this particular book we're going to look at today. It's, the book, it's a book called Acts, which is kind of short for the Acts of the early church, the Acts of the Apostles. And, and he, Luke is actually recording what happens right after Jesus leaves. You know, so Jesus came to the earth. He lived 33 years. He was, he was crucified. He died. He rose again. And then he ascended up into heaven 2,000 years ago. You can't go lay flowers at Jesus' grave site because there is no place where he's been buried. It's gone. It's, he's not there. He's, he's risen and went to heaven. And so Luke records this portion of his narrative. Uh, right after that happened. That's like Acts 1 when he ascends to heaven and now the rest of this book is what happened in the early church. How did this whole thing get started? And in Acts 8, he records the church getting persecuted. Now, what's kind of funny about this is the church is being persecuted and that, that's not funny, but what, what's I, ironic is that the persecutors were trying to snuff out this Christianity thing and it ended up backfiring. It spread. I mean, they, they ended up spreading it. Because as they, as they were being persecuted and they scattered, they were also going to keep sharing the gospel. And so where um, the enemy meant to destroy something, God actually used it to actually not just get, get people through it, but actually grow something. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes when you think it's being torn down, it's actually growing. I'll leave that there. Some people may need to hear that this morning. Acts chapter 8, verse 4, Luke writes this. And Luke's a doctor. He's very specific. Uh, so don't read any of the Bible too fast, but especially Luke. He's, he doesn't mince his words. He's very specific. He's trying to communicate something with every word he writes, uh, as God is trying to communicate through him. Luke, Luke 8, verse 4. I'm sorry, Acts 8, verse 4. But the believers who were being scattered because of all the persecution, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So it's, again, they're spreading the gospel. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say Philip, based on this next verse, I'm going to say Philip was almost as good of a preacher as me. Almost. Just kidding. He was, he was pretty good. He's pretty good. But he drew crowds. Look at this. Crowds listened intently. He had to be good. He was a good preacher. Crowds listened intently. Circle the word intently if you want for this, for where we're going today. That's one big emotional thing that happens. When you're interested, you're going to be intent, intentionally listening. You're excited. And it says here, because they were eager. There's another one. This, people are experiencing this, this profound narrative and story of grace and redemption and forgiveness. And they're eager. They're listening intently. And they're eager to hear it, his message, and see with their eyes. See the miracles he did. They want to hear his message, see his miracles, listening intently to him, Philip. 
And then and Luke's trying to paint a picture. It's dramatic. There's all kinds of experiential stuff happening that's dramatic and profound and, and worth blogging about and writing about. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy. There it is again, another great joy in the city. These people are excited. Stuff's happening. And this is God's activity, make no mistake. This isn't like some, somebody else doing stuff. This isn't magic. This is God at work. He's healing, he's redeeming, he's restoring, he's telling the truth of the gospel. And, and, and people are, I mean, there's, there's a lot of emotionally good feelings in this city. The good vibes are there. It's great joy. A man named Simon had been the sorcerer, been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Even the great people agreed. They said everyone, at least to the greatest, would say, no, 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 he's, he is the great one, the very power of God. They listened intently to his preaching, too. His, they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. And here's a Luke. But now there's a new sheriff in town. But now there's a new magician that they believed Philip's message and the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. All good stuff, all necessary to become a Christian. You can't be a Christian and say, I reject everything about Jesus and, and about the message of Jesus. You have, to, you have to believe, you have to, you have to a, a, a believe in Jesus. As a result, many, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon, you know, Simon himself believed. He was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went. He was amazed by the signs and the miracles that Philip performed. Luke is repeating himself. He's painting a picture. There was awesome stuff. The activity of God was happening here, and it was profound and amazed people. It was exciting. Word gets back to the apostles. They're pretty smart. The apostle has a fancy word for really people who knew Jesus personally, were discipled by him personally, and they were also the leaders in the church. So these are the people who are the church leaders. Word gets back to them, and this is what it says. The apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. I'm sure they heard about the screaming demons, the paralyzed you know, people being healed. I'm sure that was a part of it, and they heard all this stuff. They sent Peter and John there, and it wasn't because, wow, this is awesome, let's go check it out. And I know that because of the very next verse. As soon as they arrived, they didn't have to take inventory. Luke, remember, Luke is very specific. You can't read him fast. Well, you shouldn't read any of the Bible fast, but he's a, he's a physician, he's exceptionally detailed. And he's saying, as soon as they arrived, they prayed. They didn't have to take inventory. They didn't have to figure out what's going on. They knew this, something was off, and they prayed. What did they pray for? for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. There is no category in the Bible or in the theology of the apostles, those that knew Jesus best, for someone to be a Christian who believes, believes in Jesus but doesn't have the Holy Spirit yet because that somehow comes later. That's not a category of Christian in the apostles' understanding and in the New Testament and in the Bible. Christians not only believe, but they have the Holy Spirit of God living, taking up residence in their life and, and changing them from the inside out. That's the only kind of Christian the Bible knows. That's the only kind of Christian Jesus talks about, and that's the only kind of Christian the apostles were concerned about. And so they say here, the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, not even the healed guy, not even the demon guy, the, none, of those, none of those guys, none of the Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them, for they'd only been baptized in the name 
of the Lord Jesus. If that is not an indictment on a theology that says, I'm saved because I was baptized, or I'm saved because of some church ritual or ceremonies that I've done, however well-intentioned or good they might be, confirmation, communion, that these, these acts of our human effort don't save us. If that is an indictment on, and here's the thing, apparently being excited about the next sermon in the sermon series is not evidence that you are a Christian or that God is through the Holy Spirit taking up residence in your life. Being excited and, and full of joy around all the things that God is doing around you does not mean that that's evidence that God is in you through the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what maybe is even harder for we're very rational thinking people in our culture. Um, other cultures are a little more spiritual, we're more rational. So this one might hit a little heavier. It's also true that intellectually and rationally agreeing with the historical events of Jesus Christ, living on earth, dying, agreeing intellectually that he was raised from the dead and that he is divine, does not save you. Apparently, they didn't disagree, they didn't argue, they had, what did it say? They accepted the message, they accepted it. I mean, I don't think Satan, honestly, uh, would, would argue with you. I, I think he would say, yeah, you know, I, Satan's not roaming the world wondering if Jesus is still around. He's not w roaming the world wondering where Jesus is. He knows where Jesus is in heaven. He's not unsure if Jesus is divine or not. Jesus and, and Satan, they go way back because God created Satan. Satan was a created being of God. So Satan knows. He knows. He's not questioning that. But he... Yeah, obviously Satan is not a Christ follower. So all of those things were present and yet they were not, God was not present in these people. You know, the very next thing that happens in this chapter is, um, is that um, Simon approaches the apostles. What happens is, is God answers the prayers of the apostles. You know, Philip came, comes and he preaches, he does great sermons and great miracles, but Philip gets no credit and neither do the apostles because remember they prayed and God had to send it. That, that's the, one of the messages here is that no preacher can take credit for your salvation, no great miracle or act of human, you know, of human involvement. God had, they had to pray and then God had to act. You see that? God had to act and send his Holy Spirit. He's Savior, which means he's the one that does the saving. Not your baptism, not your ceremony, none of those things. But the very next thing that happens is that Simon starts following these other apostles around and says, hey, I want what you've got. And the disciples, they rebuke him. They say, you want this for your own personal gain, basically. You want this because of the, the power. And God loves you too much. They didn't say this, but what we know is God loves Simon too much than to give him himself because he wants power. Simon, really what he needs is a relationship with God. That's the only way it's going to happen. And they challenge Simon. They say, repent, ask for forgiveness, and maybe God will grant it for you. You know, I don't know if that's a story that you can relate to. Hey, God, I need some of that Holy Spirit. I'm going to do, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to check all the boxes. I'm going to do everything I need to do because I want some of that Holy Spirit power because I got some magic tricks I need to pull off in my marriage. I need some magic tricks I got to pull off in my job, in, in my income level, my net worth, my kids. God, I need, I need some to do what I got to do to get some of the Holy Spirit so I can preach a good sermon. God is not interested in just doing magic through his people. He wants a relationship with his people. 
So, the, Pastor Brian, what's a story? What, what's evidence of, of the Holy Spirit activity in someone, not just around? We just read about the Holy Spirit being around people and him doing things. But what is the evidence, which evidence, remember, is, exists because something already happened? What is the evidence of somebody who has the Holy Spirit active in them, not just around them? Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to go to get that. And I, I want to just preface this by saying there's some unique things that happen in Acts chapter 2 that won't happen again or won't happen in your life because, frankly, there is some differences circumstantially around everybody's story. Circumstantially, there, you were in different places, you live in different time periods, and so there's going to be different things that happen. And secondly, this is the first time that the Holy Spirit has actually truly indwelled people permanently. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would show up and he would do things, he would be active, he would, he would be involved in people's lives, but he did not permanently take up residence. And that's something that is the gift of the gospel, is that God comes in the person of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and transform you from the inside out. And if that sounds spiritual to you, it is. I'm okay with that because that's a spiritual transformation that happens. So that's the one. And the other thing, too, is it's not formula. Don't be prescriptive about this. Don't look at it and try and check all the boxes and turn God into a vending machine again and say, look, if God, if I do all these things, you're going to give me the Spirit. God is in charge. He is God. You, he does not work for you. But you do need Him to send the Holy Spirit. And, and the last thing I want you to think about, too, is this is the Holy Spirit's goal. The Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Jesus. You know, I get, I get a little leery when I hear people talk all about the Holy Spirit, but nothing of Jesus. The, the people that I know that are led most profoundly and significantly by the Holy Spirit are those that talk mostly about Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to point people in the world and remind us of what Jesus said and point people to who Jesus is. That's the number one job of the Spirit. So those that know and are led by the Spirit are the ones that talk the most about Jesus. So I... I want to look at the uh, arrival of the Holy Spirit and what we see in Acts chapter 2. And not just, you know, again, not the, the formula here, but the character of God in this. One of the things that preachers will say to each other is we'll often say, the best sermon you'll ever preach is your life. And that's because what you do in life is a reflection of what you value and what your character is. And that preaches, and people watch that. The same is true for God. What he does emanates out of who he is, what his character is, what his nature is, and what he values. So let's learn about the heart of God based on what we see in him sending the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, this is chapter 2, verse 1, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to what? This is dramatic, right? This is it. The arrival of the Holy Spirit. There's wind sounds. There's things that look like fire tongues. This is going to be big. God is making his grand entrance in the person of the Holy Spirit to indwell the New Testament church for the first time. What do we see about the heart of God in what he prioritizes as their very first Holy Spirit of God-empowered act? The first time the fullness of God in the person of the Holy Spirit indwells his church, his believers, 
And what is their first big show of that? Is it part of Red Sea? Is it to raise some dead? You know, Philip had the screaming demon thing, healing people, some, I mean, is something like that? What's the first thing God does with the fullness of himself indwelling the local church for the first time in the Holy Spirit? They began talking, speaking in other languages. Como estas? Bonjour. That's it. Here's the thing. Um, you know, you don't need the Holy Spirit to learn to speak another language, do you? You don't need, the, technically, right? I mean, you know, people without the Holy Spirit living inside of them, taking up residence, they are capable of learning other languages. They can do that without the fullness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit coming to indwell them with tongues of fire and all this stuff. They can actually go out and take a class on it. You know, but what you can't take a class on, you can't major in how to like part the Red Sea. Like that, that you need God for. You need the supernatural power of God to part the Red Sea. I don't think you can just learn that. But, the first thing God does with his power is give people the ability for community and connection where there was not before. Look at, look, at what the, look at what they say. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking other languages. At this time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered. What were they bewildered about when they got there? What would bewilder them? The tongues of fire, the loud noise? No. The great preaching that now they're capable of doing because they have the Holy Spirit in them? I bet their sermons were pretty good in that moment. I bet they were all right. I bet you would take notes. It wasn't that. They were bewildered by hearing them speak their own languages being spoken by these believers. They were completely amazed. What were they amazed by? How can this be? They exclaimed. What, 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 what can what be? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them not preaching great sermons, but we hear them just simply speaking our own native languages. Luke is repeating himself. He's making a point. It was the connection that was profound, not the content. I'm not saying... I'm not saying it's not important that we speak the gospel and the truth of it. I'm just saying there was something fascinating and bewildering and awe-inspiring about the power of God to bring people into community. They said here, uh, here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Chilton, Fond du Lac, the UP, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages. Again, Luke is repeating himself. We hear people connecting with us about the wonderful things God has done. Here's my point. The number one reason why people either don't stay in a small group or one of the number one reasons they don't even want to begin is because all the things that they want out of that group or the, the, maybe the p types of people they're looking for to connect with, those boxes aren't checked. The people are different, or in other words, they're just hard to love. And yet, right across the border from maybe your most challenging relationship, 
maybe the, right across the border from a conversation with somebody that is nothing like you is the very Spirit of God, not just working around you, but now working in you. The very first order of business for God was not to part a Red Sea. In fact, I wonder if the power of God really is not in his ability to do these magic tricks where he's got this, the power to part a Red Sea, but maybe it is the power to unite people that are oceans apart. Because maybe God is more about love than he is power, and that's the power of God is he is love. And he's about relationship. And what does it say about the heart of God when people connect with other people who are not naturally people they're going to connect with and they're actually very different. What does it say about a God who is very different from you? He is nothing like you at all. I mean, if you were to stand in the fullness of God and take it all in, you would think how different he is. It is infinite, the gap between me and God, and yet he comes down into your life and gets through the noise of your life and speaks your name. And he talks to you in a way that is your language. He speaks Brian, and he's nothing like Brian. And he loves me enough to talk to me, to connect with me, at that point, he could say anything. It's the connection, it's the relationship, it's the community that he invites people who are nothing like God into, in spite of the differences. And maybe that's, maybe that's the most miraculous thing this world needs to see. Maybe they will know we belong to Jesus by the way we love each other. Right across the border from the most difficult relationship you have, the people that are most different from you might very be the Spirit of God. Not just working around you anymore, but now he's working in you and in your life, filling you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a... Um, German theologian and scholar during World War II. Um, he wrote a lot about ethics, and uh, he battled because he knows, as Christians, we're called to be submissive to authority, but he was trying to figure out what that means when your authority is a tyrant like Hitler, and eventually um, he, d he made a decision to uh, overthrow Hitler, so he conspired with a group of conspirators to assassinate Hitler, and uh, they were caught, they were found out, and he was executed uh, by the German SS with a firing squad. But he wrote uh, a lot about that. Wrestling is worth reading. His stuff is, is, is worth reading. But he wrote a lot about community as well and relationships. He wrote about the church, the body of Christ. And this is what he writes. Um, he says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. If Dietrich is onto something, then destroying Christian community is by coming into it with demands 
Maybe as we remove our demands for the Christian community and instead orientate our lives around the demands the Christian community has on us and, and needs from us, maybe we actually build the Christian community. If, if destroying it is done by people entering it with demands, building it is done by entering the Christian community and removing your demands. I don't think your next level of spiritual maturity and growth and the activity of the Holy Spirit in you is another great sermon away that's super emotional and compelling. I don't think it's another experience of a God at work story that sounds really miraculous. I, I don't think it's a skill set that you have that, that, that you don't have that's out of your reach. I don't think your next level of spiritual maturity is even out of your reach. What I'm going to say is that it might be out of your schedule. It might not be in your schedule. So I, I will, here's my takeaway. Here's my application today. Go out, leave through these doors, and go up. And you're, next week and in the weeks to come with the small group expo, you're going to be asked um, to join a small group or get involved. Go get in line for that. And when they ask you what kind of things you need, what kind of, what kind of area you're in, what, what kind of things you need for your group, you just say, I have no demands. I'll just be in a group. What, what groups are open? How's that? And watch what God does with the church that builds, not because we, we have great sermons and draw crowds, but because we build, because we want to be aligned with the activity of the Holy Spirit of God. And the way that that looks in the New Testament is relationships, not just with God, but with people who are nothing like us and different. And watch that church grow the way this grew. I uh, had lunch recently at a restaurant in town and I talked to a, a waiter and I, we just struck up a conversation and one of the things uh, he was telling me was he just got back from a trip um, he was going to hike across America and he had saved up for this trip for years, for years and, and, he, and he planned a 12 month hike across America and he was going to use all of his money to just get through that whole year of just hiking and seeing the sights and all the, all the great beautiful um, majesty of, our, of the nature, nation and the, and the country's um, nature. And what happened was, uh, he says, it was great. It was awesome. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Um, he goes, yeah, but I'm, I'm home now. And I, I was only gone for two months. I only could do two months of it. And I was like, man, I'm so sorry. I know you didn't plan for that. You planned for 12. You saved up all these years for this. Well, I'm so sorry. Why? Why did you end it so early? And he said, honestly, I underestimated underestimated how meaningless it would be to do an experience alone. He says, it was beautiful. The, the mountains, the sunsets were breathtaking. The sunrises were unspeakably beautiful. The majesty of this country and the world is amazing. But alone, it was meaningless. I, I believe this. There's, a people, there's people in this room who started out their adventure with God. You packed your backpack and you were all in and you're, there were great sermons. There was emotional experiences. You heard the sound of the wind and the tongues of the fire, whatever. There was all this stuff. But at some point, it just kind of wore off and you wondered what happened. Did God go? Did he leave? Is he not active anymore? And I think what God's saying to us through Luke, through his words, he's saying actually on the other side of the border, of what seems to be the ordinary, the mundane, the conversations with people who are hard to love, the people that are different than you, right there, right there, outside of all the miraculous signs and wonders, that right there, right there, right there, is the Holy Spirit of God, and I want to do it in you. I don't want you to just be a spectator as it happens around you. 
So would you take a step? Would you step in to community? This is from Benedict of Nursa. He was a ancient church leader. He died about 1,500 years ago. But he wrote this. Uh, he said, the whole orientation of life is to the principle that God is everywhere all the time. And thus, every element of our ordinary is potentially holy. Stop looking for emotionally high experiences. Step into community with people who are different than you and hard to love. And step right into the heart of a God who loves you no matter how hard you are to love. Let's pray. Jesus, I know that sometimes what you draw us with, which is, you know, great, compelling stories of your activity in the world and all the things you've done and the, the wonderful story of grace and redemption from, from uh, the pit, Lord, that story of you redeeming and healing, that draws us. But sometimes, Lord, what we are drawn with, we end up being drawn to instead of you. We get drawn to the experiences and not to you. And you love us too much then to let us live there, Lord. That you even be, you're even willing to bring us ordinary monotony if it will usher us right into the center of your will and into the center of where your spirit is at work in us. So Lord, help us to walk toward the boring night in with people and conversations with people. And help us to be open to the Holy Spirit of God at work in us, not just around us as we step into community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.